Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. What did one that say to the other? Catch you later. What did the nut say when he was chasing someone? I'm a cashew. Uh, I know. Those, those jokes crack me up. I came out of my shell. Anyway, all right, sorry. No, no. All right. Do you ever feel insignificant? Anybody in the room ever feel insignificant? You feel like I'm just living my life. I go through my life and then it doesn't really matter whether I live or die. You know, when I die, nobody really cares. Um, one of the things that we come across, there are seven and a half billion people in this world and you're just one of seven and a half billion. And I know you're really important to about four people. And outside of that, you know, you could disappear and nobody cares. And sometimes we feel insignificant and we think what we're doing in our life is insignificant and that, um, small details, small details though, change history. I found several different stories, but this is the one I like the most. And I talked to my wife. She said it's the one I should use. In, 19, or in 1862, 1862, the American Civil War was going really well for the South. Now, being from the South, I was educated in how the, the uh, War of Northern Aggression. Now, anyway. <laughs> anyway. No, this is actually history. This is true. Uh, the South was doing real good. Early in the war, the generals on the South side knew what they were doing. They were, they were superior to the North's generals. As a matter of fact, one of the problems that the North had with the war is they didn't have good leadership, and it took them years to raise it up. So uh, General Robert E. Lee was a brilliant mastermind of how to, uh, to win a war. So they were, the South was winning almost all the battles. As a matter of fact, it was time for them. They were going to make a march into Northern Territory and they were going to go through Virginia and they were going to go capture the capital of the United States and, and win the battle. At this moment, both Britain and France were in negotiations and ready to embrace the Confederacy as a separate uh, country. And if that would have happened, the South would have won. That, that just would have happened. So that's the way everything was moving. And it was 1862. And Robert General Lee Lee launched this Maryland campaign in September. And he ordered Special Order 191. And what it was, it was his plan of action to march into uh, Northern Territory and control their positions of power and leadership. And, and that was his plan, Special Order 191. He ordered that each general get a one-page outline of where troops would be, where they would go, what they would do. And he ordered that to be sent to the generals. And the generals were immediately, after reading it, studying it, they were to destroy it so that nobody could get it. Well, there was a, a general, and his name was General D.H. Hill, that apparently received two orders. He received two. Well, two were sent to him. He said, history says later, that he only received one. And somehow the other one got lost. Well, the other one did get lost and it got found by the, uh, let me see, the, um, it, was the, it was the volunteers of Nebraska, Maryland volunteers, I believe. The volunteers, were, it was September 13. 
and a few Union soldiers from the 27th Indiana Volunteers, that's what they were, they were in a field and they were resting and they looked over and saw something that looked like paper in the field. So they go over, they pick it up, there were three cigars wrapped in a paper and the paper was Special Order 191. They took it to their generals. When they took this piece of paper to their generals, the Union then knew what the South was going to do, and they actually prevented them from accomplishing the goals of Robert E. Lee because they knew what the South was going to do, and they plotted against it and won not only that victory, but it turned the tide. British, uh, the British and France both rejected the Confederacy as an individual country, and the war was turned. The Emancipation Proclamation was issued, all because one piece of paper was found. Yeah. World history as we know it, changed because of one piece of paper found by some volunteers in a field. I want you to think about that because the God that we serve is a sovereign God that is able to turn the tides of humanity any way he wants. Don't, don't we serve a God that caused a census of the entire Roman world issued by the great Augustus Caesar to move one little pregnant girl 90 miles up the coast from Nazareth to Bethlehem so the prophecies of Scripture could be fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. Turn the world upside down so one girl could move 90 miles. Turn the world upside down by one piece of paper being found in the right location. And one thing I want to say about this is you have way too small a view of your life, your purposes, and the God you serve. We have too small a view of God and too small a view of the church. You know, you have too small a view of what you do in kids' church. Any kids' ministries place in the place, yell at me if you go, woo, if you're a kid. Kids ministry. You know that kid that drives you crazy back there? That kid back there, that, that little young girl, little young boy running around? They may be your next pastor. Because I was one of those to one of those kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know what God, last Sunday, God put me in a position, a place we chose to ride bikes at a time we wouldn't have ordinarily ridden bikes in a place we made up a last minute decision to ride bikes so I could have an in chance encounter with somebody that needed me to drop by to speak to them. Why? Because God is sovereign and controls. Consider this truth, or, or this one. How about the day that my mom and dad, they, uh, they needed money. They were, they were retired and had less income than they needed. And I remember one morning, I woke up and I, I was just praying. I can tell you where I was in the chapel when I prayed it. I felt the Holy Spirit leading me and say, God, provide for mom and dad today. And that was the day that somebody in the VA office actually read the application and gave my dad approval to get support for him losing his hearing because he was a, a, an artillery man in the army. I'm telling you, God, but what would have happened if I wouldn't have prayed that prayer that day? Yeah, maybe he wouldn't have got it because you have an opportunity to participate in God with the little insignificant things making a big impact. I want you to consider this truth. I want you to think about it really closely. God is sovereign. All right, everybody wake up now. I told you a story and some of you are nodding on me. I want you to come back to me real quick, all right? God is sovereign. His plan, 
His plan, God's plan, includes all the information you don't have about your life, about the lives of the people around you, the plans of government made in back rooms. His plan knows it all. He knows the future of you and the future of others and the future of countries and nations and timings, and he knows his plan. Your life is best lived in alignment with his plan. By the way, if God knows all this and he's got a plan that is a good plan and you don't align with him, can I just tell you, I think you're dumb. Can I just call it out? If there's a good God that loves you and has a plan to bless the world through you and, and bring eternity through you and you don't want to align with it because you want something different, I think you're pretty dumb. Because your life is more than just being about your life. It's about fulfilling God's plan. All right. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? I want to read for you a passage. All right. There's our passage. Here's our verse for today. His intent was that sometime. What? His intent was that now. right now. Not, yes, he knows the future. Yes, he knows the past. But his intent is that right now, right now, through the, and I hate that word. I hate that word. I hate the word church. You know why? Because when I say church or you read church, you know what you read? This building. This is not the church. Let me tell you what the Greek word for church is. Y'all ready for this? Ekklesia. Now, you don't know what that means, so let me tell you what it means. It's two words. Ek is out. If, I, if you read Greek, it's preposition. Ek means out. Out. Kaleo is the root word of klesia. Kaleo means, hey, hey, come here. Hey, Greg Fanning, Jesus is saying, I want you. Joseph Mitchell, come out, follow Jesus, submit to him, do his will. Y'all follow me? What is it? Call that Joe, Joe Hessel, I've called you. Jesus is calling you not to be like everybody else on your workplace. You, you got this? What is the ecclesia? Jesus called you out by name. By name, he called you out. So when you read church, I want you to quit thinking about a building. I want to think about God up in heaven going, I pick you. So, so it's intent. God's intent was that God's intent was that come on, this is an all skate. About 40% of you participated. Elbow the person next to you and say, you're not too cool to do this. Come on, tell them you're not too cool to do this. You ready? All right. Y'all ready? Here we go. His intent was that through the called out ones, that means you, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You, do you hear people talk about demons and spirits and power? Do you, I just want you to know that now, that now, 
through you, the called out one, when you submit and obey Jesus and you live according to his plan, all of those demons and powers and all of those spiritual beings, they go, wow, God, we can't fight you. You're smarter than us. And you thought you just showed up to a building this morning to church. No, you showed up so that what you think is insignificant this morning is changing the heavenly realms and changing the hearts of people and changing eternity. What you're doing right now, you got too small of you. You think it's about being good or bad or getting saved and go to heaven and not go to hell. Listen, might be that to begin with, but if that's all you're in it for, man, you're missing the boat. There's more. All right. So Jesus, help us today. So we hear these core values. Help us today in this space, in this place, in this time. Now, through your called out ones, to declare your wisdom and your power and your goodness to all the rulers in the heavenly realms, but not only in the heavenly realms, but all the people on the earth, so that your glory would shine through our submission to your plan. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, oh, wait, wait. Before you sit down, you ought to tell the person next to you, doggone, you're pretty special. Go ahead. Just tell them before you sit down. Tell them how special they are. If you're watching online, you're pretty special. All right, so at Harvest Ridge, we have four core values. We have four core values. Those four core values are how we determine what we have decided we need to do to fulfill that calling out now to participate in God's cosmic purposes in this world. So there are four things that we do. You might know them as the four C's. Four C's, we want you to connect, we want community, we want contribute, we want children, all right? Those are our four C's. I'm gonna redefine them a little bit. I'm gonna give you a little Kevin Crowism of them. Uh, that we want you to connect, we want you to love God, community, we want you to like each other, contribute, we want you to work hard, and then children, we want you to have fun. So we're going to come back and talk about those four things real quick. Y'all ready? All right, so that was my introduction. That took me 20 minutes, and each point should take me 20 minutes. We'll be ready for Harvest Loses of Prayer by the time you leave. No, 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 I got, I got this. Y'all ready? Number one, connect. We want you to love God. So this is providing opportunities to establish a connection with God through salvation, baptism, and life filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what we define. What we're basically saying here is we want you to connect with God. We want you to love God. We want you to experience God. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with who? Come on. You. Everybody do this. He's patient with me. Yeah. God is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what does God want for you? God wants you to repent. God wants you to live in the fullness of his life. God wants you to live in relationship with him. That's really what I'm talking about. Connecting with God means you just have a relationship with him. First um, Timothy 1.15 says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So don't even question this. There's some things you can question. This one you don't question. Paul said, this is trustworthy. Full acceptance. Don't even think twice about it. Y'all ready for it? This is so, so controversial. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Aren't you glad that's worthy of full acceptance? 
Jesus came to save you, man. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a life with you. He wants to connect with you. All right? How about this one? Philippians 3, 10, 11. I want you to know Christ. I, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ, yes. And the power of his resurrection. I want the power of his resurrection. But this is the part we don't like. Participation with his sufferings. What if God calls you to suffer so that his power can made manifest through that suffering? Didn't we sing that today? I've seen your faithfulness. Do you know the only time you need God's faithfulness? When there's something going on, right? Hey, I, I was singing that song. I've, I could look around this room and I could tell you, especially some of you younger ones, you haven't seen the things I've seen. Let me tell you, I know people in this room, they came to this place, their marriage was, I travesty. And Jesus delivered, set free, restored, gave them life. I know people, there are people in this space, their, their bodies were broken and they were healed. I know people that their mind was so goofed up, they weren't even thinking straight. I know people in this space that they came so depressed, they were ready to kill themselves. I, come on, are y'all with me? Are y'all following me? And, and these stories are around us. One of the things we want to do is we want to always live in the victory, but sometimes the only way you get victory is when you suffer. So, so let's embrace what suffering is a part of this, that sometimes you don't get the victory until you go through the struggle. So I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. I want the victory, but I also want to embrace the fact that sometimes I've got to work to get there. And participation with his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And somehow I attained to this great victory over all this stuff. Let me tell you what this looks like, all right? I'll tell you a story. Last Sunday morning, we were supposed to go to church, me and my wife. We weren't here. Wouldn't have happened if we had been here. I said to her last minute, I said, I'm not going to church. I'm going to go visit Marge Pope. Those of you that don't know Marge Pope, she's been around here for over 30 years. And uh, I've, Marge came to us all the way back in the school. She used to teach our kids. She taught all of my kids when they were little bitty squirts back in kids' ministry, and she taught them. And then her body got, you know, physically she couldn't take care of kids, so she started a prayer ministry. And then she did the prayer ministry until she couldn't do that anymore. And so Marge and I, we've known each other for a long time, right? When we have 30 people in the church and one of them's a worker all the time, you know that person pretty well. So I got to know Marge pretty well. And, you know, Marge has some baggage from her past. She's got some issues and some struggles. You know, occasionally life would get a little heavy for her and she would come by the office to set up and, and then she'd start talking to me. And for 30 years, I've seen this happen probably dozens of times, is that every time life would beat her down, beat her down, beat her down, she would come by and I would say, hey, Marge, let's pray. And we would start to pray. And when we would start to pray, Marge would step into this relationship that she found through our early prayers where this relationship where her and God were friends, they actually connected. And, and they, she'd start talking and, and praying. And before long, I, I'd just back off of the prayers and I would watch Marge connect with Jesus and Marge would connect with Jesus. And then, uh, man, she would walk out 30 minutes later with her world turned upside down and everything right. And she would go in the power of the resurrection, having walked in and the, pa the passion of his sufferings. And I've seen this for years and years and years. So last Sunday, 
She's laying in the hospital. She's got a BiPAP machine on. She has COPD. She's unable to breathe. They were actually forcing air in and out of her lungs, and she was still at only 80% oxygen, which is really dangerous. It was really bad, and she was sick, and they had put her in a coma to drop her out, and she was passed out on the bed, and her family was gathered around. It was one of those moments that looked like, you know, we're ready to have a funeral. So I walk in the room, and, and uh, I'm there, and I start you know, I started conversing and I find out how bad things really are. So then the families gather around. So I grab, grab hands and pray with them. And as I grab hands and pray with them, you know, I pray the, the prayer the pastor's supposed to pray, you know, Jesus, show your power and all that stuff. And, and uh, at the end of that, toward the end of that, Marge started waking up and coming around. So uh, I started talking to her a little bit and Marge said, get everybody out of here. So we kicked everybody out except her and Glenn and me. And she uh, asked me a question. She couldn't talk, so she wrote a paper on the paper. She wrote, am I dying? And I said, yes, Marge, you're dying, which is why you don't want me to visit you in the hospital. <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, how do you answer somebody in that moment? And I, I believe it was a Holy Spirit prophecy came into me. And I said, Marge, you're dying, but it isn't today. And, uh, and that was pretty bold. I, I, I had really no basis to say anything like that. And I said... Yeah, you're dying, but it isn't today. And, you know, this sickness one day is going to take you out, but it ain't going to be today, Marge. And, uh, you know, we started writing a little bit more, and finally she wrote, pray. And so we did what we've done dozens of times over the years. I reached down and grabbed her hand, and I started praying for her. And I said, paraclete, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, your name is paraclete, the one who walks alongside us. You're the one that comes and comforts us in our need. Would you fill this room? Would you begin to fill Marge? And about that time, her left hand that wasn't holding my hand just goes up like this. And, and I see her start, you know, praying. And before long, uh, the hand goes up. Up a little bit more. So I let go of her hand because I know, come on, I've been through this. I know what's coming, right? Yeah. And then the second hand goes up and then she starts worshiping and she starts praising Jesus and both hands go up and then she starts praying in the Holy Spirit and both hands are up. And before long, I look over and she's at hundred percent oxygen on the little thing having her. And by the time the night was up, come on, I went out in the hallway and I said to her kids, you got to come in and see this because they thought she was dead. They walked through the door and she was closer to Jesus with that moment than she was on this earth. And the power of the Holy Spirit came over her and infused her body with life. The power of the resurrection came and touched her body. And a miracle happened right before my eyes. A woman who should have been dead, now they took the mask off of her and she's breathing on her own and she's getting 97% oxygen. Why? But it wasn't about the healing. It's not about the healing. Because in a moment when she was in need, she connected with Jesus and her and Jesus had a little talk. And when her and Jesus had a talk, the power of heaven invaded the normalcy of earth and the glory of God came down and her spirit was lifted and her world was lifted. And I told her, one of these days, you're going to do that and you're going to start praying like that. And Jesus is going to say, come on, you're closer to my house than you are yours. Just come on home and you're going to go home with glory. Now I tell you something. There's some of you go through problems in life and you just live under the weight of it. But there's a power in connecting with Jesus that brings life. And what I want for you is I want you to connect with that kind of power. When you're 12. So that when you're 50, you know how to do it. His name was, his name was uh, uh, Jim Bush. Now, Brother Bush 
was one of the stalwarts. He was one of the first like 15 people that came to this church. Brother Bush, uh, he was an older man. It was like 19, or 1994. He prophesied we would be on Lorraine Road even though we were supposed to build a building on another location. He was right. Brother Bush was a man of God. He got prostate cancer and he was dying. And I can still see him laying in that bed in his house. They had the hospital bed there and he was laying there. He, would, he had prostate cancer and he couldn't pee. And he would just, the pain, if you've ever been through it, the pain is so horrible. He'd say, I need to pee, I can't, I need to pee. And his pain was so bad. And I watched this over and over again. I visited him and one day I was visiting him and we started that way and I said, can we just pray? And we prayed. And as we prayed, his face turned up. He said, it's so beautiful. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? The angels are singing. It's so beautiful. Hallelujah. And he started worshiping God and praising God. And within 10 minutes, he had passed into heaven. I want you to go out like that. I want you to be so close to heaven and so connected with God that when it's time to go, that when you have a problem, you're connected with Jesus. And if there's one thing I want for you existentially, I want you to experience Jesus. Yes, head knowledge, yes. I understand the philosophical arguments and I understand the, the arguments of, of logic and reason. And yes, I understand those. And I will talk to you about those all day long. And I want you to have those because they're true, they're real, they're factual, and they're worth believing. But I want you to connect with Jesus so much that when everything goes against you, you can connect with Jesus. And you not only know the sufferings of Jesus, but the power of his resurrection. That's why this ecclesia exists. Second reason is community. All right. I know I should say we should love each other. But I'm not saying love each other. Let me, let's do this real quick. How did Jesus disciple people? He discipled people by taking 12 guys, a small group. All the crowds left him. He took 12 guys. He did life with them. He ate with them. He went on cruises with them. Yeah. Senior adults that are going cruising. Jesus will be there. Yeah. He, he went fishing with them. Yeah. That, that's all part of what Jesus did. He did life. They did life. So this is how we define discipleship at Harvest Ridge. Those 12 guys changed the world because Jesus changed them. How did he change them? Not by his fine sermons, but by his relationship with them. So we believe discipleship is when one person who wants to grow in relationship with Jesus gets in community with another person or persons who want to grow in relationship with Jesus. And that's how we disciple one another. How do we do that? We do that through life groups. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Life groups. Now, I want you to be a zombie when it comes to life groups. Everything else you can think at Harvest Ridge, you can question anything I preach. You can question anything I say. I encourage you to question it. But when it comes to life groups, don't question it. Just do it. Everybody should be in a life group. You, this is the zombie apocalypse. I'm going to life group. All right. I was told that's cheesy. I shouldn't do it anymore. I don't care. I love it. All right. Life groups. Now, what are life groups? What do we do? That's, well, that's when you get in a small group and you actually get together with people and you hang out together and you eat food together and you talk together. 
What happens in a life group? Well, you're sort of forced to act like you care for somebody. I mean, act like it, if nothing else, right? Yeah, you know, there are 56 one another's in the New Testament. The New Testament is greatly concerned about how we interact with one another. John 13, 34 says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, if I were to write this today or I were to translate it into English, I would not translate with the word love because you have no idea what that means. You love pizza. You love the Cleveland Browns. That means you really goofed up. You love all kinds of things, right? We, I go on The Bachelor, and after two group dates with 40 other people, I'm in love. We don't know what love is. Do you know what I tell my wife all the time? I like you. I like you. I actually like being with you. I like you as a person. I like you. Anybody have that person at work? You're like, well, I love them, but I don't like them. You know what I'm talking about? So I wouldn't say love one another because we make all these excuses for love. Do you know what I think the church, the ecclesia needs to do? You need to like one another. That means if you've got a problem with somebody, what do you do? You work it stinking out. And the only way you can do that is to stay in proximity to each other. Are y'all following me? Core value of this church? The world will think we're really weird if they see us when we see each other in Walmart, high five, smile, and like one another. They're going to be like, those people are strange. <laughs> yes, we are because we like one another. Love doesn't mean anything. You love potato chips and they're killing you. Anyway, all right. What does like means? It means you actually notice one another. Guys, can I say something, especially the younger? I, I love watching the teenagers sit here. You guys make me proud. Just want you to know. I want to tell you something. I want to look each one in the eye. I want to tell you something. I like you. I don't just love you. I actually like you. I think you guys are awesome. I really think you're awesome. And I'll give you a big smile, too. Yeah. Hold on. We get, these guys get a lot of hate from older generations. It's time for us to stop that. I actually like them. You know, I do. I like them. You know what? Wouldn't it be great if the person sitting next to you actually liked you? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them, hey, you know what? I sort of like you. You're all right. <laughs> if you're online, I like you too. You know what brain science teaches us? Do you know what brain science teaches us? What we just did right there by smiling at people and telling them we like them. Lowered your blood pressure, reduced your chance of stroke and heart attack, and caused you to live a healthier, emotional, less anxiety-filled life. Put your stinking phones away and talk to people. Give them a smile. Like each other. Let's be weird. What do you say? Let's not live our life for some person on Instagram that we would hate if we actually talked to them. How about we actually like the people we're with and get a smile from them and have our brain function change? Let's be weird. I got to go, man. I haven't been, I haven't preached in a while. I told you, sorry. 
All right, third, community. No, no, third is contribute. Contribute. Now, I know when I say the word contribute, I know what you hear. Church just wants my money. No, I don't want your money. I want your heart. If I get your heart, I'll get all your money. I'm just joking, you know? I hear those people on Facebook. Holy, Harvest Ridge wants my money. Really? 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 No, I don't. I'll tell you what I want. I want you to stop thinking in poverty. Do you know we think in poverty in America? Anybody ever said, I just don't have the time? Anybody in the room ever said, I don't have the time? As you spend an hour perusing Instagram. All right. Anybody ever said, I don't have the money? Anybody ever said, I don't have the money? As you buy a $5 cup of coffee. No. Anybody said, I just don't have the talent. But you don't practice, you don't work out, and you don't hire a coach. Anybody, anybody ever said those words? The problem that you have with contribute is you think you can't. And you forget that God can. We misappropriate, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me all the time. Do you know that passage actually has to do with contributing through their poverty to people in need? Do you know that verse actually has to do with my God will supply all of your needs because you contribute? Because you have a poverty mentality. You're worried about what you can't do, and you forgot how great your sovereign God is and all he can do. You think it's up to you to do everything when God says, I can do everything through you. And what I would like to say is that, that when you hear contribute, if you hear they just want from me, you're right. I do want, but not from you. I want for you because I don't want you to contribute so you can give. I want you to contribute so you can grow. There's a, my life first, my life first, first Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. This is my life first. To make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. That's hard for me. <laughs> lead a quiet life. Mind your own stinking business. If stinking's not in the Greek, it should be. Mind your own stinking business. Boy, that's a word for somebody in this place today. Mind your own stinking business. Take care of you. Let, let, grab the mask when it pops down to get some oxygen for you before you start trying to take care of everybody else's problems in the world. Before you start fixing everybody else, why don't you take care of you? Why don't you get the log out of your own eye so you can see to help them with a the speck in theirs? Mind your own stinking business. Work hard with your hands. Actually do something useful. Just as we told you, and here's why. So that your daily life will win the respect of outsiders and you will not be dependent on anybody. My prayer is this. Y'all ready? I, I'm sorry, camera people. This is my prayer. That you would live such a wonderful life in Jesus Christ. That your bills would be paid. Your relationship with your wife would be so awesome. And your kids and your job and your yards lines would be straight. And <laughs> come on. Your life would be so... I'm sorry, I'm spitting on you. Your life... I apologize. No, no, that, that's just spit. There ain't no holy water in that. 
<laughs> that your life would be so filled with the goodness and power and awesomeness of God. Not that you don't have problems, but you fix them all so that your neighbors look at him and go, man, he, he just always gets it right. And then one day they're going to ask, I wonder how he always gets it right. And they're going to come to you and you're going to say, you want to meet my Jesus? That's what I want for you. But that's what I want for you and 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 you. I want you to live such a wonderful life. Your neighbors are stinking jealous of you. So that you'd win the respect of outsiders. Isn't that what it says? And you'll not be dependent on anybody. All right. This is what I want for you. You think I want Christianity to take something from you? Heck no. I wanted to give you something because God is not a God of scarcity. God is not a God of scarcity. God doesn't lack anything. Our problem is you're like this base up here. You're just playing away. How much noise is that thing making? Can you hear it? Oh, but if you live your life through and for God, you get amplified. Are y'all following me? And what I would like for you is contribute, is for you to invest your life in something that matters more than just now. And if that means your money, let it be your money. Because if you give, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be poured into your lap? I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. I'm just preaching the fact that God has enough. And if it's your time, God will give you back in time. And if you need to learn something, he'll give you what you need. Oh, come on. You know what happens, though? If you live your life not investing your life, do you know what happens to it? This is what happens because you're not a part of the team. Watch what happens. We, did we speak too soon? You want to do your part, that's for sure. <laughs> Someone else get eaten by the tarp? Oh, look out. Oh, God. Close. Look at the guy at the Close. top. Third, oh, oh, there he goes. There we go. Made it. Oh, no. He got eaten by the tarp. He's, He's under there. They're not Somebody. even stopping. No pause. Somebody's going to get him out of there. Left behind, fend for yourself. <laughs> He's doing the, the, the crawl. <laughs> He's under there somewhere. This is like basic we training. <laughs> All right, you oh, kill man. it. That shows what happens. Either you got one of two options. In life, you can contribute and do your part, or you're going to get swallowed up. Oh, come on. That's good. So for Harvest Blues, we have about 400 people serving. Those 400 people serving, I looked. Some of you aren't serving on a regular basis here at Harvest Ridge. So what I want you to do is um, I want you, if you're in this church today, you're listening to me, you're watching online, you're a regular part, I want you to text this number right here. Text serve to this number, and we'll put you in a position. Do you know that we have like 354 people serving regularly at Harvest Ridge? I love that. I respect that. I appreciate that. But we still have 112 open slots just in front door ministries. So if you can smile, shake a hand, pass out. If you can even fake a smile for 20 minutes, we got a place for you. Not only in front door ministry, we need kids ministry and we need, we got 45 open slots in kids ministry because we keep expanding it back there because we get more kids. We, got, we need four new slots in security. There are some of you, you need to take over a security slot. Come on. 
What I'm saying to you is this, is the more you contribute, the more you find out the God of generosity and the God that does not lack. There is no scarcity with God. And then last of all, our fourth chord value is children. And how we talk about this one is you have fun. You have fun. You just have fun. <laughs> our world doesn't have fun enough. As a matter of fact, we're going to do this tonight. We're going to throw a party. Think about this. We're going to serve food. We're going to play games. We're going to do face paint. We're going to balloon animals. We're going to play music. We're going to uh, throw up fireworks in the air. And we're going to do all of this for our community and throw a party for our community. And you and I are actually expecting God to do something in people's lives. That's stupid. I want you to think about it. Hey, we're going to invite some people over to my house and we're just going to eat brats and play games. God's going to save somebody. That seems stupid until you read the New Testament. Do you know what happened? Jesus kept getting invited to parties. He kept showing up and people kept getting saved, healed, and delivered. You know what's going to happen tonight? Because we are the called out ones representing Jesus. We're going to throw a party in the name of Jesus and people are going to show up and get saved because they're going to have fun. And if you want, to, you want kids to be saved and stay safe, they better have some fun. And I want to say one more thing, uh, and, and then, I'll, then I'll, I'll be done, all right? Harvest Ridge is a church where older generations bless coming generations. Do you know I'm no longer a younger generation? And we do some, hey, hush. We do, we do some things here at Harvest Ridge that are not even my preferences. There are some things we do as a church that I don't like it. But do you know why we do it? Because those kids back there are more important than me. And we need to contextualize how we present the message, not the message we present, but how we present the message needs to be contextualized. And we will do what we need to do to reach them, even if I have to sacrifice what I like. And if you're older in this place, you listen to me. Our job is to pass our faith on to the next generation, regardless of how we feel about how we have to do it. So if you don't like it, Maybe you're like Jesus. I'm sure Jesus was on the cross saying, this is so much fun. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to sacrifice what you like to give other people what they need. Any mom that's ever made dinner said amen. amen. <laughs> Tonight is Harvest Palooza. All four core values are expressed in one moment. So here's how I want to stand today. We have communion elements. If uh, you need a communion element, you don't have one, grab one. I went a little long today. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. All right. Here's how we're going to celebrate communion. When I was in the hospital and Marge is there and she goes from here to here to here and she starts worshiping, she started singing a song. And in singing that song... It, I, I thought it would be appropriate when it comes time for us to remember the death, burial, and resurrection and our victory in Jesus, to sort of go back and celebrate the victory she found in that moment. I thought it would be appropriate for us to sing in honor of her, in honor of Jesus who died, in memory of Jesus who died, in memory of the victory, and maybe in replicating some things learned by the saints going before. One of the things we can do to connect with Jesus. And she began singing this song, Amazing. 